Welcome to the March 28th sermon from Clifford Baptist Church, 635 Fletcher's Level Road in Amherst. Today's scripture is John chapter 13, verses 1 through 5, and verses 18 through 27. And the sermon is entitled, The Critical Moment, delivered today by Pastor Michael Fitzgerald. In this beautiful in front of me, as we see Palm Sunday and the Lord's Supper and the foot washing before us, today we gather on this Palm Sunday considering the final week of Jesus' earthly life before the agony of the cross and the victory of the resurrection. And this day draws its name from Jesus' final entry into Jerusalem on that Sunday as he comes into the city for the last time of his earthly life before the cross. It is in fulfillment of prophecy he rides into the city on a donkey. The fulfillment of prophecy is Zechariah chapter 9 verse 9 and the verse is this. Rejoice greatly, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, your king is coming to you. He is just and having salvation, lowly and riding on a donkey, a colt, the foal of a donkey. And so in fulfillment of prophecy that was laid down hundreds of years before, Jesus comes into Jerusalem for that last week before the cross. And its shadow has fallen upon him in these last few days. Palm Sunday is recorded in all four of the Gospels, Matthew 21, Mark 11, Luke 19, John chapter 12. But I want you to see that God laid down the plan of our salvation long before the cross and the empty tomb came. The life of Jesus Christ and the gift of his ministry to us is scattered throughout the prophecy of the Old Testament. We can see the life of Jesus laid out before us even before the book of Matthew opens up. We know that the gift of our salvation and our eternal life was planned long before the cross ever came. Jesus brought forth that plan, but God had laid it down in his mind and in his wisdom many centuries before it ever happened. And of course, as we think of Palm Sunday, we picture in our minds as we know the Scripture, the people of Jerusalem who are laying their clothing and their palm branches on the roadway as Jesus rides this donkey into the city for the last time. The palms are a symbol of joy and respect and honor. When someone important was coming into the city, they would cover the dirt so that the animal or that person didn't have to walk on the lowliness of the dirt, but rather would walk on the respect of their clothing and their palm branches. And they shouted Hosanna as a welcome and in holiness to Jesus coming into Jerusalem. Sadly, at the end of the week, many of those same people who shouted Hosanna and laid down the palm branches, at the end of the week, shouted, crucify him. Take his life on Good Friday. But those few days between Palm Sunday and Good Friday were packed full of teaching and ministry for the Lord Jesus Christ. He had very little time to rest in the course of those few days. Even as he came to the cross, I believe that he was was tired as he got there because of the week that he had lived prior to coming to the cross on Friday. He was a man on a holy mission. He had to get everything done that needed to be done before God's holy timetable could be fulfilled. So Jesus Christ walked among the people, healing, teaching, loving them. Toward the end of that week on Thursday, before he comes to the cross on Friday, he meets with his disciples for one 
final gathering of teaching and fellowship and love and ministry. I want you to go to John's Gospel today. Turn with me to chapter 13. This final gathering was a celebration of the Jewish Passover meal with his disciples, his 12 chosen men. So including Jesus, there were 13 men gathered at this Passover meal. But there was one more there. Satan himself was crouching in the corner of this meeting. Now where God Almighty is omnipresent and omniscient, all-knowing, all-present, everywhere, Satan is very limited in where he can be. But Satan is in this room on this evening of the Passover. As the disciples come together, Jesus begins the evening by celebrating the Passover meal with his disciples. And of course, you know the meaning of the Passover meal, which was established as Moses had gone to the Israelites who were slaves and captives in Egypt, and he had brought them a message of God's freedom, that they were going to be freed, that the death angel was going to pass through Egypt and was going to take the life of every human and animal firstborn. But as they celebrated the Passover meal in obedience to God, the death angel passed over the Israelites on through Egypt, taking the lives of the firstborn. But the Israelites were spared because of their faith in God and love of God. And as they celebrated the Passover, the death angel passed over them, and no life was lost of the Israelites. So as Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples, this meal looks backward to history as to God's miraculous saving of the Israelites. But as Jesus celebrates this meal with them, he now pulls something out of the meal so that they can look forward to what is going to happen. As Jesus celebrates the Lord's Supper with them on this evening, he points forward to his own passing, to his own sacrifice to his own atonement for sin, for anyone who would place their faith in him. And in this evening, as we see it recounted to us in John's gospel, it ends this meeting in a very stunning way. Look with me, John 13. Look at verses 1 through 5. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. And supper being ended, the devil, having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him, Jesus, knowing that the Father had given all things into his hands and that he was come from God and went to God, he riseth from supper and laid aside his garments and took a towel and girded himself. After that, he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel wherewith he was girded. Foot washing was reserved for the lowest, most menial slave in any household. The feet were considered a lowly part of the body. Cleaning dirty feet was the lowliest job any servant could perform. When people came to the household, be they the ones who were residents there or visitors to the home, the servant was dispatched to wash the dirt off of their feet and the mud perhaps that was caked on. And while maybe you and I have seen 
uh, some recounting of washing of feet. It seems that a little water is splashed on and, and they're dried off, but not so in the biblical day. That servant had to get every speck of dirt out from between the toes and everywhere that there might be a crevice that dirt might cling. So the job was menial, and the job was not easy. The servant didn't just splash a little water on, but thoroughly cleaned those dirty feet. Jesus did the same thing with his disciples, humbling himself to such a task. And the disciples were amazed. They were awed. Perhaps they were even embarrassed by this act of their master, their Lord, that he had knelt down before them and was actually washing their feet. Peter even refused, saying, you cannot wash my feet as my master. And Jesus insists, saying, you will have no part in me unless I wash your feet. A very menial task for his disciples. And yet they had no idea that Jesus would be far, far more humiliated the next day when he went to the cross to die for the world. Yes, he was humbled on Maundy Thursday when he washed their feet, but he was completely humiliated the next day when he died on the cross, a common criminal. Bearing our shame, taking our place, Bearing our sin, bearing our punishment, Jesus bore it on his own cross. They didn't know that that was coming. But as Jesus finishes washing their feet, he instructs them, and now here we are 2,000 years later, and he's instructing us that we're to humble ourselves in service to others as he had humbled himself in service to his disciples. We are to serve others with the same humility with which we see Jesus serving his disciples here. You know, we've had a rough year behind us. I think the light at the end of the tunnel is beginning to glimmer now, but this pandemic has caused a rough year for the church's life and for your personal life and probably for your work world and social world, and it's affected us all. But it's given us the opportunity to practice some true humility as we have been striving to protect someone else and protect a neighbor and watch out for the health of someone else. We're watching our own, but we're also looking beyond ourselves to take care of somebody else. This year has taught us that. I pray we don't lose that, that we are always on the watch to take care of somebody else besides ourselves. Now, at this point, the devil has already dealt secretly with Judas Iscariot. He has already implanted a plan of betrayal in Judas's mind and his heart. Judas was going to betray the Lord by turning him into the authorities, the Roman authorities, as a rebel, as a traitor. And Judas agrees with Satan. Jesus has to die. And I'm going to hasten that process by turning him in tonight. And as the foot washing concludes, Jesus then introduces his disciples to another stunning truth. A truth they never thought they would hear. One of you at the table with me will betray me. And they were shocked. One of us, a betrayer? One of us who has followed you three years to betray you. No one knows the plan of Judas Iscariot. I want you to listen to this bombshell 
that comes from Jesus in this meeting. Look at John 13, go to verse 18. Jesus is speaking here. He said, I speak not of you all. I know whom I have chosen, but that the Scripture may be fulfilled. He that eateth bread with me hath lifted up his heel against me. Now I tell you before it come, that when it is come to pass, ye may believe that I am he. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that receiveth whomsoever I send receiveth me, and he that receiveth me receiveth him that sent me. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, that one of you shall betray me. Jesus tells his 12 disciples that one of them is going to turn their back on him. One of them is going to turn away from him in betrayal. It's going to be a a cruel act against the Savior. Look again at verse 21. It's a very important verse. Underline it. When Jesus had thus said, he was troubled in spirit and testified and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you that one of you shall betray me. Especially underline the word troubled. He was troubled in his spirit. In that Greek word troubled, we see the humanity of Jesus. You know, he is the son of God. He is the son of man. He is 100% God, 100% man. In this passage of scripture here where we see the word troubled, we see his humanity. We see him being a human being, a man, when it says he was troubled. The Greek word is etarakthe. And it means that Jesus was in extreme anxiety, even to the point of horror, that he was going to be facing the cross of Calvary. And the cross wasn't really the thing that brought the most anxiety. It was the weight of the sin laid on his shoulders, the sin of the world that he would carry on the cross. That's what brought the horror, the anxiety that God the Father would unleash all of this punishment upon him for all the sin and for every sinner in the world would be laid on him in that moment. And Jesus knew it was coming. He faced taking the wrath of God for every sin and every sinner of the world. And as Jesus reveals a betrayer in the room again, the disciples are in a state of shock. They could not believe that they were hearing that someone would betray Jesus around their very circle. The gospel writer John gives us a glimpse into a really interesting conversation between himself, the gospel writer John, and Peter. So John and Peter have an interchange, and I don't want you to miss this. Look at verses 22 through 27. Chapter 13, go to verse 22. Then the disciples looked one on another, doubting of whom he spake. Now there was, one, there was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. That's John. He never calls himself by name. He always calls himself the disciple whom Jesus loved. So John is identifying himself here. Verse 23. There was leaning on Jesus' bosom one of his disciples whom Jesus loved. Simon Peter therefore beckoned to him that he should ask who it should be of whom he spake. He then, lying on Jesus' breast, saith unto him, Lord, who is it? Jesus answered, He it is to whom I shall give a sop when I have dipped it. And when he had dipped the sop, he gave it to Judas Iscariot, the son of Simon. And after the sop, Satan entered into him. 
Then said Jesus unto him, That thou doest, do quickly. As the news of this betrayer sinks in, John records that he is sitting next to Jesus. Now, I want to, I want to qualify this. You know the, the, the great painting, Leonardo da Vinci, The Last Supper? And they're all sitting at a table, and all of them are upright, and you see little, little triads of conversation between the threes around the table as Jesus is in the center. The Passover really was not celebrated with men who are sitting in straight-back chairs. But rather, the Passover was symbolic of the freedom of Israel, so it was taken in a reclining position. People actually laid somewhat prone on the floor or propped up on an elbow as they took the elements of the Lord's Supper in a relaxed position. So here's John in this position, and he had actually leaned his head on the chest of Jesus, the disciple whom Jesus loved, leaning his head on Jesus' chest. And Peter, who is somewhere close by, signals to John, Psst, psst, John, ask him, who is it? Who's the betrayer? So John looks Jesus in the eye because he's right there. Lord, who is it? Who's your betrayer? And John hears Jesus say in a very precise answer, I'm going to dip a piece of bread into the sop, which is an element of the Passover meal, and I'm going to offer it to that man. And Jesus says, when I offer that sop to a disciple, he is my betrayer. So in our Passover meal set up here, a piece of bread in this dish is a mixture that was called the sop, it's actually a mixture of nuts and dates and raisins and figs and mashed into a paste so that you could actually dip it out with the bread. And as Jesus dipped the sop and approached Judas Iscariot, the sop offering was always offered to the guest of honor in a Passover meal. It's a symbol of love and a symbol of respect, and a symbol of invitation. Whomever is the guest of honor gets the offering of the sop at the Passover meal. So when Jesus holds that, that bread and that fruit mixture for Judas Iscariot, he's giving him one last gesture of love. He's giving him one last opportunity of decision. Here's a man who had literally walked in the footsteps of Jesus for three years, and he was lost. He did not know him as Savior. As Jesus offered him the sop, basically what he was offering is, Judas, you can choose me and refuse Satan, or you can choose Satan and refuse me. This is your critical moment as he holds the sop. And we know Judas's decision. He says, no, Jesus, I will not follow you. But rather, I'm going to follow the plan that is already in my mind, my heart, and I'm going to betray you. Jesus knows his betrayal is coming when he refuses the sop. John 13, 27 says, Satan literally enters 
Judas Iscariot and takes over in him. Now there's no turning back. Satan has entered him and he is planning on a plan from hell and he's going to head there himself one day very soon as he turns Jesus in. And there's a statement that's very symbolic. Here's another underline. Underline verse 30. John 13, 30. He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. That's a very symbolic statement. Outside of the upper room, yes, it had gotten dark. It was night outside, but it was darker in Judas's heart. He was headed out to betray the Savior, the Son of God, the Lord of the universe. His heart was much darker than the night could be. Today, we remember that with Judas's betrayal, Jesus enters the hours of trial and mockery and cruelty and scourging and the crown of thorns and the shame of the cross. And today, we worship at the foot of that cross. Amen? We're here to worship. We're here to say thank you, Lord. And you took my place. Now, Judas turned him in. Roman soldiers took over. But nobody forced Jesus to the cross. Jesus went of his own love for you and for me. And he laid down his life willingly for us. He endured the ultimate unthinkable agony to forgive us. As it says in Isaiah 53, by his stripes we are healed. So we've gathered around the Lord's table today to remember Him, to thank Him, to worship Him, to praise Him. My prayer is that we go through these doors with that same praise on our hearts as we live this week to come. Praise God. We know the end of the story. When we meet back here next week, we meet back in the celebration of His resurrection. But today, as I, as I close this sermon, let me say this. While we believers, those of us who are here in person, those of us streaming with us, parking lot, Praise God, we can thank Him and worship Him. But maybe today, listen, maybe you're here or streaming or in a parking lot and you've never come to Jesus as your Lord and Savior. Jesus held up the sop for Judas Iscariot and said, this is your critical moment. Make a decision. This moment is your critical moment. You came in or tuned in lost, a weight of sin on your shoulders, and Jesus is reaching out to you saying, I want to be your Savior. I've gone to the cross to earn that right to be your Savior. And I love you. And you can lay down your sin and come to me as your Savior. Will you come right now? Today, if you're here, will you come right now? If you're streaming, come where you are. It doesn't matter where you are. A kitchen, a dining room, in your car. Just come where you are and say yes to Jesus. That's his invitation. Church home, whatever you need, come to Jesus. He's ready to receive you. And this is the moment that his arms are open and he's waiting for you. Let's pray together. Our Father, our God, thank you for these moments, Lord. Thank you that it should have been my hands. It should have been my feet on that cross. Thank you for your word of love to us, Lord. Thank you for your gift. A gift that we cannot even begin to conceive that you died, laid down your life as the Savior of each person in the world who will come to you, Lord. May we be strong in our mission outreach. 
May we be strong in our daily lives, Lord, to know that we have appointments with people this week who need the love of Christ. May we fulfill those appointments with your love. We love you. We trust you, Lord. We pray that you will continue to carry us forward in how we reach out for Jesus. For that one who needs you, right now, the moment is here. He or she can come and be a son or daughter of God through your forgiveness. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Clifford Baptist Church invites you to join us for worship every Sunday morning at 11 a.m. For more information about our church, please call our church office at 434-946-0555.